Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for joining today's podcast interview. It's kind of an exciting time of year. It's We're getting close to Christmas. We're a couple weeks away, actually two weeks from today. And um, I'm so thankful for individuals that take the time and share their stories with me. And while I was interviewing Steve and Eve Hurst recently, they shared with me a couple different people that they felt would just have amazing stories to share with you and to just spread light in your life. And today I'm interviewing a couple. Um, ironically, it's Charlie Brown, <laughs> his wife, Sarah Brown. And Charlie is in the United States right now. And Sarah is in the Philippines. So this is the first time I've ever done an interview where the couple wasn't together in the same room or close by each other. One's in another country and one's here. So I'm so grateful for them. And today I'm kind of going to break up this podcast into three different stories because honestly, 10 minutes ago is the first time that I have met Charlie and Sarah. And so really we're just going to unfold their stories and um, the Hearst just couldn't say enough great things about these two. So I just feel like you're going to love their story and I'm going to love to learn more about them and their story too. And I think it will just add light into your life this holiday season. So Charlie and Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Okay. Before we get going on the questions, I do want to start, Sarah, can you, cause everyone's going to wonder, well, why is Sarah in the Philippines and Charlie's in the United States? So Sarah, can you tell everybody why you're, <laughs> why you're in the Philippines? Oh, First of all, I'm from the Philippines. I'm I'm Sister Sarah Brown. I I was born and raised here in the Philippines, <laughs> and I met my husband Charles, who is now in the U.S. Um, online. Oh, so, yeah. So that's the reason why I'm still here, and he's there. <laughs> Because of this. Well, we could give a few more details than that. She's yeah. she she's her immigration visa has been approved. And because of the COVID backlog, Sarah's waiting for her final interview. I mean, there's something like 378,000 interviews approved worldwide. And they're only processed, they're just backlogged so much that we thought she'd be ready to go. And I had to get back here for some some reasons. And so she just she's waiting now for that final interview. And then I'll go back and get her. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. So I know we're going to talk about how you met and stuff. So I don't want to get into too many juicy details, but how long have you been married? How long have you had to stay in the Philippines and Charlie's been here? Oh, we've been married eight years. And wow. after our marriage, Brother Brown stay here in the Philippines. And we plan to go back to U.S., but because of the pandemic and our calling, so it was postponed. Yeah. So we weren't separated okay. at the time, Beth. We were, I was there. I went to the Philippines. And so I've been there since 2015. Uh, and then I just left and arrived back in the States in September. 
Okay. Okay. Wow. What a story. Okay. Let's start, let's start in the beginning of your lives a little bit. Um, I know that Steve and Eve had shared, you know, that you have quite an incredible conversion story. And then Sarah, I would love for you to share yours. So let's start with you. Now they, mm-hmm. they called you Charlie, but should I call you Charles? Is that just what Sarah calls you? <laughs> no, Char- Charlie's Charlie's typical only in the Philippines. Do they call me Charles? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So Charlie, can you just share a little bit about your history and how you found out about the gospel and a little bit about that experience? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to tell, but I, I'll try to just condense this. I, so I grew up in a wonderful, very sincere Baptist home and, uh, you know, memorized scripture when I was a kid and went to church every Sunday, absolutely hated it. I just, I just did not want to do all of that stuff, but, uh, uh, and, and boy, I, I was quite a troubled, ch- I was, I was a pretty headstrong child. I left home when I was 12 and I never went back and, uh, and, and a lot of trouble, a lot of challenges resulted from that. And later on, I was, w- later on, I was actually adopted by a foster family and, um, but anyway, I, I didn't live my Christian. The knowledge of the of the gospel was deep inside of me. My mother made sure of that, and and, and but I had no interest in serving Christ. I, I tell you this though, I had when I was nine, I had made a, I had gone down to get baptized because I was scared to death that if I uh, if I left the the building, got hit by a car, I was going to be in hell forever. And so, I mean, I really wanted fire insurance, you know, I wanted to make sure I didn't go to hell, but I had no desire to serve Christ. That didn't come until I was 23 years old in December of 1979. The result of this life that I'm not going to give you all the details on that was just not a good life, but I had joined the Navy when I was 19 and my world was collapsing around me. And it just was really, you know, those moments that many of us have where it's like, I can't take anymore. I just cannot bear anymore. And I, I was in my barracks room up at a school for training and I just broke and I fell to my knees and I called out to the God of my youth. And I said, I'm done. I can't do this without you. Just show me what to do. I'm not making any deals. I'm turning it all over. And that's where my journey with Christ, you know, really, you know, that's where it began and so with all sincerity of my heart, I pressed in reading my scriptures and, and, uh, and just began to, my life just began to turn, turn over. Now, I knew nothing about this church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I had never met anyone. As a matter of fact, not only had I not met anyone, but, uh, well, I like to tell it, let me say that with saying this, I like to tell a you know, typical Mormon friends. I mean, we meet friends in the temple. We meet friends all over the different places. And they say, oh, you know, everybody asks, where are you from? And so my typical fun response is, well, I'm from the dark side. And they're like, the dark side? What are you talking about? Well, I was born and raised in Jackson County, Missouri. So we, <laughs> we, oh didn't, we, didn't, we didn't push hand carts. We pulled pistols. You know, we were in the Mormons right out of there. And, and sometimes when I go to family reunions, it's still target practice, you know, so, (laughs) (laughs) so I knew nothing about the church. Time went on. Uh, there's so many wonderful things that that happened, but by 1985, I felt very strongly. The Lord called me to be a missionary. Now, remember I'm in a Pentecostal evangelical church, 
but we're all convinced. And, and so I spent uh, a year working with a pastor directly uh, to be, become ordained because I was going to go be a missionary. You know, they, they pack people up and send the whole family over to a foreign country. And uh, so we did that. And then the church couldn't send me and I got ordained, but they couldn't send me because it just didn't have enough money. It takes a lot, a lot of money. And uh, I remember being frustrated with the Lord that night after all this work and just being told that no, now I wasn't going to get to go. I needed to make a decision whether to stay in the Navy, get out of the Navy, because I was still in the Navy while I was doing all of this. And I, I had to make that decision. And, and, and I, I literally went home angry with God. And I was fussing at him, you know, why, why would you take me through all of this and then not make a way? And Beth, it was, you know, one of those few times every now and then in life, you know, there's, there's, there's words that come really clear and you know, those who didn't come from you. And as soon as I finished saying, why don't you make a way? I heard, make your own way. And so I did. I, that's a whole nother story. I'm not going to go into that story because it would be too long to get to where I think you would like us to be here. But so I got transferred into the Italian Navy on a personal exchange job. And so the Navy packed me up, shipped me over there, put me in the Italian. Navy. I was the only American there. And 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 I and I started a Bible study and we preached and we taught and we did this and did that. Did that for three years over in Italy. And uh, anyway, so I, I loved the Lord, I desired to serve the Lord, and I was doing all that I knew how. And uh, boy, I sure wished I'd had preached my gospel in those days. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to write all my own lessons. But my life got really rough. I mean, I, um, the woman I was then married to, the mother of my, my children, uh, uh, she she developed some, she developed a prescription addiction. And again, the whole world just kind of just, it just caught us all. We, no, nobody expected what happened, you know, me nor her, and it, it caught us all, but it just absolutely wrecked our lives. So I ended up being divorced in 1999. Uh, in 2000, I was working for the city of Norfolk and a man came to the city whose name was Hap Clough. Well, it was short for happy. In fact, he had sisters, love, joy, and peace. Okay. These, you know, <laughs> Mormon, Mormons are strange people sometimes, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so Hap, wonderful guy, about 10 years older than me. We hit it off right off the bat. He was actually my boss and uh, he gave me a book of Mormon. I never read it, but we talked a lot. We would talk, we would talk. We just talked tons of times. Seven years, we had that relationship and that friendship. And uh, now looking back on it, I realized how much he was teaching me along the way. Very interesting how he taught me because I'd say something with, and I had a lot of gospel knowledge, you know, because I was a minister and I had studied and prepared many, many, many lessons. And, and, uh, he's, and uh, I would say something and Hap would say, hmm, that's interesting. Have you ever thought of this? And I'd go, well, no, I hadn't thought of that. And I'd go ponder whatever it was. that he. Looking back, I didn't realize it was happening while I was then, but looking back, he did that all the time. He was correcting me every single time, but I didn't know it. He was just giving me new things to think about. Hmm, interesting. Have you ever thought of this? 
So in 2008, I was on my way out to Salt Lake City on business. Of course, I knew the temple was out there and Hap was a good friend. So I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do some experience that I knew when we come home, I'd have something to talk to my friend about, you know? And so I purposed to go to Temple Square and I went a day early just so I could spend time. And, uh, and I did. And uh, I remember walking on the temple grounds and immediately I could feel the goodness of it. I mean, I'm in a minister. I'm really, I was aware of good and evil. I could feel and sense. I knew the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He was our teacher and our guide. I didn't know I needed him indwelling me, but I knew when he was present. And uh, so I went all around, lots of great stories there. But the most important story was I walked up, I can't remember which visitor center it was, but the one where the Christus used to be, or maybe it will mm -hmm. be, I don't know, but remember, and you go up, yep. the, go up to the ramp, if you're standing, look at the Christus, Christus, you go up to the ramp on the right, and they had a big room set up there with about six different rooms in it, and when you went in with the sister missionaries, you sat down at a little, um, I don't know, it was a little like tiny, tiny theater that reflected this, this little scene that they were going to play on the screen. And, mm -hmm. and then we'd get up and you'd go to the next one. And then you get up and you go to the next one. And you you progressed through this thing. Well, I when they started teaching, the very first one taught that families were to be together for time and all eternity. I thought, well, that sounds that sounds like what love would do. That sounds like what God would do. I, I get that. But they were teaching it for doctrine. There's no scripture to support that, you know, because the only scriptures I had was the Bible. Well, yeah, you can't teach something for scripture if the, you know, for doctrine if it, if you don't have scriptures. So I thought, huh, that's interesting. It didn't bother me the print the idea, but I just wondered why it was doctrine. Well, then we wrapped that whole thing up with the family was central to the plan of salvation, and I'm like, I'm a sinner. Christ died for me. I knew to accept his atonement, be baptized, turn my life over, become a disciple. What's I got to do with the family? And they were teaching that for doctrine. So I was curious now, I had never visited the church, but I'm like, why are they teaching those things for doctrine? Now that, that, that mystifies me. When I go back, I'm going to go find out why they're doing that. And so on, on, on July the 15th or 13th, I was in the chapel. I'd returned and I was back in the chapel and uh, I, for the first time I went, Beth, I'm a, I'm a evangelical, Pentecostal, lots of worship, praise, celebration. I mean, it's just a real, you know, if, you ever, if you've ever been to one of those, it, it's a lot of fun. And I guess that I, I think there's a place for it. You know, yep. it's not for sacrament, but I think that open praise and worship of God is we should let ourselves open up and be free like that more, more often than we do. But anyway. So I, I went and here I am sitting in this mid-month. I mean, it was quiet. It was like, it was like a, you know, a library and we sang hymns. I hadn't sung a hymn in 20 years, but I knew these were hymns because, you know, hymns sound like hymns, but I didn't even know what these hymns were. I'd never heard these hymns. And I was, well, I'm singing along and I'm like, this is weird. I enjoyed the talks. I could tell they were sharing you know, how a principle had worked out in their lives. I thought that was, we would have called that a testimony meeting, you know? And I thought, well, that, you know, that's okay. But frankly, I was bored to death. And I, I was looking at my watch going, good gosh, did I promise to be here for three hours? You know, this. 
So I had already made up my mind up. This wasn't for me. That's fine for them. And I'm glad they enjoyed where they were, but I was going to just go back to my own church until it was over. I was seated up front on a second row with, uh, well, actually with Hap's wife, because Hap was a high councilman, so he wasn't even there. And as we dismissed, we had to go out the back. So I turned around to go out the back. And when I turned around, what I saw in that moment almost knocked me off my feet because I had, I had never seen anything like that. I had begged God for a small part of what I just, what I saw. You know what I saw? I saw a room full of men. Men don't go to church. Pop's sitting at home with a beer can popped open, watching football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the kids to church. Get them out of here. Here's a whole room full of men that were there on purpose. They were not, you could tell they were there on purpose, not compelled to be there. And the missionaries were in the row right behind me. And I turned and I look at the missionaries and I said, I don't know what you're teaching, but I know this. If it draws men to Jesus Christ, I need to know about it. You get over to my house this week. Well, we didn't, we didn't go. We went to Hap's house. And yeah, I think I should share this. That's, I don't always share what is about to happen, but I, I drove up and I could see they were in the house. I could see in the living room. And before I got out of my car, I prayed and I said, okay, Heavenly Father, I need help right now. Uh, I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. I know he's my teacher, my comforter, my guide. I said, I need to know what's truth. So you help me understand what they're sharing and what's truth. And so I got out of my car and I went in expecting to be shown what was truth. I didn't feel unsafe. I just wanted him to guide me because I had no idea what these knuckleheads were going to try to teach me, you know. I walked in and I, we sat down, we started talking. I, Beth, I can't tell you five minutes, 10 minutes. I can't tell you, but I will tell you what happened now. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't visit everyone the same way. So no one should ever establish any expectations. Okay. This was my experience. This is how the Lord knew he needed to get my attention. I was sitting there and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit like dropped down on me like you poured warm oil over the top of my head that flowed down through my body. Motion rose up in my chest and my blood pressure clearly went up my ears. It was like the whole room went silent. And I heard this, this is truth, pay attention. And I was done. In that moment, I was done. I didn't even know who Joseph Smith was yet, but I knew the voice of the Holy Spirit. I knew he was present and I knew that he intended I had better pay attention and get all of my get all of my objections out of the way because I have been instructed. So that's where that's how I don't know that the missionaries ever noticed that we never talked about it. I never told them what happened. What I did tell them was, all right, listen, all of this is nice. I love you. I don't really want to get to know you. I do, but I want to know what you're teaching. Teach me the lessons. 
let's go to work on that. I want the lessons. And so we did two, we got together twice a week in August, August the 13th. I was baptized. What year? August the 13th of when? 2008. 2008. Wow. What a story. And I'm telling you, so I'll quit right here, but I want you to know, see, this is what I, I got to tell you one more thing. And so they sent me home with, they said, okay, now go home and read Alma 32, which is a great chapter for Protestants or people that Christians to read, because there's so many things that are obviously relatable in that chapter. Right. And, and so I went home, but Hap had given me one of those great big blind man versions, the tri triple, you know, it, was, it had nice, beautiful text. You didn't have to wear glasses or anything. So I popped that thing. I didn't know where Alma was. I just popped it open. Oh my goodness. It dropped open in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I looked down there. And when I looked down, I saw revelation given to the prophet Smith, the da, 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 da. I can't remember what section it was. And I was like, and it just, here came the Holy Spirit again. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is revelation. This is modern day revelation. Because see, I knew that was a conversation I always stayed out of with all of my colleagues because, you know, they like to claim that there is no more revelation. That never made any sense to me. I said, what's wrong? I, then why do I go home and pray for direction from God if there's no more revelation? Does it make any sense that he doesn't reveal how we're supposed to operate in this world? I was so excited. I couldn't stop reading the doctrine. I had a testimony of the doctrine and covenants the, the first night I opened the text. And I, I couldn't hardly put it down. Now, I did read my assignment <laughs> like I was told. But when I came back, the very next meeting... Of course, the elders ask, as they always do, well, is there anything that you noticed in what you read? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, can you tell me what we're doing here right here? Doctrine and Covenant section, da, 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 da. You should have seen those, those men, their mouths just opened wide, their eyes got big. You know, what are we going to do? How do we get this man out of this? You know, but it, anyway, I, I backed off and, and followed through. And of course, I have a testimony of the Book of Mormon. We live truly. This is the, I don't have any choice but to be in this church jesus christ is my savior this is his church i can't be anywhere else that's so beautiful thank you sarah wow <laughs> tell us a little bit about your conversion about your life mm -hmm. but i love listening to brother brown's life story his conversion story over and over again i love listening to you um yes. me i grew up a catholic church my family is close to god i can say that because my mom raised us up with afternoon prayer rosary prayer we pray rosary mm -hmm. we have an altar and we kneel down and we pray while the missionary is waiting outside, <laughs> after we finish our prayer, the missionaries are uh, teaching us to. And so I was, um, we met the missionary um, 1985, but I have lots of, my relatives have different kind of religion. And so, you know, when they found out that the missionaries are teaching us, 
they said, oh, this is, this, that church is like this and like that. You, sh you should join our church. So every time that we have our uh, date for our baptism, um, some of our relatives are, you know, um, they want to stop it. So my baptism get postponed and postponed until August 19, 1986. So a year after I got baptized. So we met the missionary through my brother, Jude. Um, he met them um, when the missionaries are finding ways to go out they they i i don't know what happened but they are in the woods and so it happens but my brother is also in that same direction with them and they are asking them where they can find the way out and that time um that is this the story missionaries are looking to to a way to go out, but they lead us to a way where we can find the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So how did, did your entire family listen to the missionaries? Oh, um, so the missionary uh, teach our family. My mom is very, very devoted Catholic. She she doesn't um she doesn't disagree with the missionaries she doesn't disagree with the teachings of the church it's because of she said it's because it's focused on jesus christ that's what she wants us to that's where she is also leading us as catholic church to be closer to jesus christ but i guess because of the teaching she knows that it's centered on family focus on Jesus Christ. Um, she let us to be baptized. She gave us permission to be baptized. But then she, after three years, after three years, she get baptized. She did. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. Even though she is really, really uh, devoted, you know, the word devoted Catholic. She go to different church. She knows that there is some church here that, um, like the Baclaran Church, uh, every Wednesday she go there because there's a rosary for Virgin Mary and then the Black Nazarene in Kiapa Church. So she went to different church to pray, you know. But then when the missionary, when she found out about the church, it focused on Jesus Christ, eternal family. So she accepted the gospel. What was it for you that drew you to the gospel? I was baptized at age 16. So in our family, in our family, all, the, all of us are close to, you know, we pray and we we active in the church in the Catholic. I think I'm the one who always um seeking seeking um Jesus Christ, praying, you know, I I put flowers in our in our 
small altar, I clean it, I put flowers there. But I wasn't, I, I was not the one who was baptized first, it was my brother. And be, maybe because I followed my brother, my, my siblings, I joined the church. At first, I really don't have that testimony, the, mm -hmm. the testimony, but I followed what, because it's, it's about the church, the activity in the church, um, my brothers and my sister was there. So I got baptized with them too. I joined the church. When... Go ahead. Yeah, you, jo you joined the church. Go ahead. Yeah, I joined the church because my brothers and my sisters was there. The testimony is not that really. I don't have that testimony that this church is true. I know this church will lead me to Jesus Christ, the same as the Catholic Church. So when do you feel like you gained a strong testimony for yourself about the church? Oh, um, at age 21, at age 20, I'm, I, we became close to the missionaries. I worked with the missionaries, but I don't have the desire to serve a mission. Although I saw... I, I'm close with the sister missionaries. I don't have the desire to go on a mission. But then uh, during that time of my youth, during the testimony meeting, the people said, the members, our brothers and sisters, gave their testimony. I know the Book of Mormon is true. I didn't really pay attention to the Book of Mormon until at age 20, I said, I have to gain my testimony about the Book of Mormon. I want to stand there in front and give my testimony about this book that they say it's true. So I give time, I give time and open my heart reading the Book of Mormon. And when I finished reading the Book of Mormon, I said to myself, I have to share to the world that this book is true. And so I decided, I talked to my mom. I said, I'm going on a mission. She said, no, you can't. You are not going on a mission. I said, I want to do because I know this book is true and I want to share it. That's, that's the reason why, why I served my mission. My conversion to the Book of Mormon. Wow. And so my mom didn't give me permission the God mission, but the desire is, you know, I have this, I have this desire to go on a mission, and so I I peel up my mission call, and a portion of that I need to I need my mother to sign his signature as a permission, although I'm already twenty one years old then, but. My mom said, no, you are not going on a mission. That's for the men. You cannot go out at nighttime. You're still at the street, you know? No. And so I asked my sister, I called my sister, will you sign my mission call using, you know, as permission? It's like forging my mom's signature. <laughs> And so I 
I sent my I I gave my ano uh, my mission application to my bishop. And during the time, it's not online; it's a paper. You know, it was nineteen ninety three, nineteen ninety three. So, so when my mission call came. When I opened it, I saw President Benson's signature. I think it's his real signature because, you know, it's not a signature that I can see that it's like, you know, he is, it's, re, it's his real signature. It makes me cry again. I said, Mom, the prophet called me to serve a mission. And she was so happy. She said, oh, it's that the prophet called you to, to, um, to a mission? Yeah, look at this. This is President Ezra Benson. And she was happy and she, I didn't, I didn't see in her the disagreement that I'm not going on a mission like what she told me when I'm about, I, when I'm asking her permission to go on a mission. So, I served my mission in 1993. Where did you go? I go to Kawayan Ilagan Mission, and now it's Kawayan Mission. It's in the north of the Philippines. Okay, north of, okay. And how did your mission solidify you even more in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, I didn't miss a day not being in the field. Um, my, 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 I devoted that year on my mission. I said, I'm not going to waste time here in the mission. So my mission president one time saw us, we should be in the house resting because it's, it's, um, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, we should be still in the house uh, resting we're we're in the field <laughs> so I can say that I did my best I give my best 18 months in the field yeah. you gave your best for 18 that's amazing yeah I never miss a day staying in the house because I'm sick and I don't go to work I spend it 18 months outside wow what a what a testimony of a mission and your experience with the Book of Mormon. That's amazing. Okay, so I want to I want to fast forward. You know, um, Charlie, you you know you joined the church in two thousand and eight. Um, how do you two meet? What happens? What is transpiring in your life that brings you two together? So, Charlie, do you want to start with that, and then Sarah, can you share a little bit I about should. that too? I should start with that because, because I initiated it, you know, so, so when I, what is Hap happened to also be my Bishop. So my boss oh. turned out he was the, the, the ward split and he became the Bishop of the ward I was in when that, and you know, the, and, and so he called me in and, and so immediately he assigned me, you know, I was, I was called as ward mission leader right out of the gate. And, uh, you know, I was just so excited. I just, I had found the gospel. I had, we, we went running around and I was just so busy having a great time. I, I think 
I think I baptized 10 of my friends in the first six months, you know, and we just had the missionaries working and we were going and going and going. And, and I just kept doing and going. We had so much, oh, so many great things. And oh, I just, I, there's so many stories. But uh, anyway, in 2012, the, uh, the, the state president called me into his office. He called me to, for an interview to call me as elders quorum president. And so when he called me, I went over there, I did the interview. And uh, and this is this is going to go on the public record now. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure he gets this blog. So so he finishes the interview and all that. And it, it was over. He said, Brother, Brother Brown, can I ask you a question? And I said, uh, well, so of course, President, what's your question? He says, are you dating anyone? Now, my divorce was really vicious. I mean, I just got beat from one end to the other. You know, I had, I had, it, it was just bad. I was left with $700 a month to live on. I was, I had, I had five children. I didn't need it. I was done. As far as I was concerned, I was done with marriage. And I was so busy focused on, you know, learning and working in the church that, I, you know, I had, no, nah, president, I just, you know, I'm really busy doing this. And he said, well, you like girls, don't you? <laughs> and then he backed up immediately. No, no, I, I, I didn't mean it to sound. I said, that's all right. I, I got you. I got you. And of course, I teased him from then on out. But when I walked out of the building that day, I knew the Lord was telling me, okay, son, this new and everlasting covenant thing, you, you know, you're either going to get in or you're not, you know, you need to, you need to go. You're not getting any younger. I, th I thought, what was I? 50... 55. 55. No, 52 then. Whatever age I was. It was 2012 and I was born in 1956. So whatever that works out to be. I was not young. I was over 50. So I ran around and I lived in Norfolk, Virginia and up in Washington, D.C. There were three single adult wards. Wow. There's a lot of single people up there. So I would drive yeah. up there. I would drive up there and you could... You know, and I met a lot of wonderful, beautiful, talented, great, great people. But it just seemed like every single one of them just wanted to get married and settle down. I was looking for somebody that wanted to hit the road. You know, I was looking for someone that wanted to be a missionary, someone who going to go places and do things and, you know, and, and work for the Lord. And, 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 and I just didn't see any of that. So after a while, some of my friends, I gave up on that. Some friends, just get online. Why don't you go online? I'm 50, so I'm not getting online. You got to be kidding me. Well, at that time, there was a an, uh, pro, a thing called uh, LDS Planet. It doesn't exist anymore. So I said, all right. So I got on LDS Planet. And here, I'm going to tell this story now, Sarah, so you can backfill what you think is the truth. But this is the true story right here. <laughs> yeah, I get on a, a LDS planet and, I, and it, you know how it, pre, it, pre, you fill out your profile and it presents people to you and you, you look, you know, well, one day her picture pops up and she was just like, I was like, wow. And then I looked at her some more and said, ah, she looks kind of young. Ah, what the heck? I need to at least encourage her on her journey. So I sent her an email. I said, you know, note, da, 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 how are you doing? How long have you known the Lord? What's your calling? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And not very long. I mean, it was very short. 
I got a response, but it wasn't a response that the program had these little things they called flirts. They were a little like you'd click a button and it would send, I like you, you're the one, you're cute, you know, stuff like that, like, like Valentine's candy. And, and she, so I got a flirt. Well, that's nice. I, you know, I'm glad you think that, but you know, I'd really like to know a little bit more about you. Boom. I'd get another flirt. Every time I'd send him, I'd send a message. She'd flirt. I'd send a message. She'd flirt. She'd never answer my questions. And I mean, this went on for a little while, a week or more. And finally I'm going, well, shoot, I, you know, this isn't, I can't, if I can't learn anything about her, I mean, I don't even know if that's a girl on the other side of this thing, you know, I just getting this stuff. So, so, so I closed the program down. I just shut it down and said, well, enough of that. Not more than a week later, I'm sitting at my desk because I worked from home and I had Facebook up. And while I was working, up, boop, pops that same picture. Beth, Sarah had gone out and internationally stalked me down. <laughs> I can't wait to hear her version. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, but of course, after that, then we could, we began to talk and we could find, you know, we, we began to talk with each other. I'll be quiet for a minute. So you can say what you think you need to say. Okay, Sarah, what's your version? <laughs> so at age 30, I said, when I get, when I reach age 30, I'm not going to get married. I said, I can find the guy that same age with me that's still single there's something wrong with that guy so <laughs> so but then late very late i realized that i need to get married i need to get married and it's also in my patriarchal blessing that it says i have to find my mate after my mission and i didn't do that uh they I think I called myself a late bloomer. After my mission, I don't have the desire to get married, you know. So, so I heard some of my friends about this LDS planet, and so I signed in in that in the uh, site, and there is a membership fee for that and uh, for that site. So you have to pay through PayPal's or or a credit card or yeah and i don't have credit card and there's no paypals here around in our area i have to go i went to another town to look for the paypals to pay for my membership but i can't find it and so i called my niece in manila to pay for my for my membership i gave my membership id and then she returned calls she said auntie uh, I need to have two IDs of you so that I can pay the members your membership and I will do anything for you just to get you married. <laughs> and so I said, oh, never mind if you need two of my IDs. And so one day, one day, um, because it has a membership, you cannot put your real name in that site. So you just, you're just going to use uh, your alias, like oh yeah, President Brother Brown. She he used his CAPTCV3 on his Facebook, on his email, 
and in that side so one time i was playing looking for you know those names and i was looking for a guy with children children that i can you know raise so when i saw president brown pictures i saw a lot of i received a lot of letters receive a lot of letters and in that site you can scroll and see who's those you know looking for there's an age bracket places you no know? so when when i saw Pris, brother brown's picture i i open it in the big screen i look at his eyes i said this man is i think this man is a great guy and he needs someone to love him he needs someone to take care of him and i remember it's clear very clear that i made that comment just for him i look no. at those pictures of those men but i didn't make a comment i make a comment with poor brother brown in other words she <laughs> took pity on me <laughs> and and I know Heavenly Father hear me <laughs> when I say that. And so he said, oh, you're the one who will love him. You will take care of him. So that's where it starts when I play, you know, in on Facebook, looking at those names. When I write Pres Brother Brown's uh, email address, it pops up. I said, oh, this is the guy that in that site, I sent him a friend request. <laughs> uh, so how many years did you communicate through social media? Well, actually, we that started in February of 2012. And so probably, so in the first week, then I shut it down. So she couldn't reply to me. She didn't have a paid account. She couldn't even read the emails I was sending her. She knew she mm -hmm. was hitting them. Yeah. She knew she was. And the only thing she could do was click that flirt button. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. She was just trying to say, I, I hear you. I hear you. But she couldn't. Yeah, just to get to get in touch with him. I sent those flirt emoticons. <laughs> so she she she. So a week later, I shut it down. A week after that, she figured out and found me on Facebook. And then a week after that, I'm like, okay, you know, we're not spring chickens anymore here. We're in here. We're, we're here to, we're seeking who the Lord would have us to be with, who's our eternal companion. Uh, and I said, we need, we need to go to the temple and let's, let's fast and go to the temple and get a confirmation whether we should proceed, you know, there's no need in, you know, wasting a lot of time. And she said, I said, let's do a two day fast. Very evangelical of me. <laughs> and she said, sure. And so uh, so on Thursday, I started my fast. And Friday, I fasted Thursday, Friday, Saturday, went to the temple. I didn't break my fast till I came out of the temple. But while I was in the temple, of course, the Lord confirmed. Now, I have to jump way ahead for just a moment, Beth. So about four years ago, we're telling these stories one night. And I was talking about how we declared this fast in order to get this confirmation. And Sarah goes, I didn't fast. What? 
You told me you fasted. I didn't say I fasted. You fasted. Well, why didn't you fast? Yeah. Why didn't you fast, Sarah? <laughs> because I knew he is the one. She's already it might, knew. <laughs> it, it, might, it might be Trick of Blessings said you have to find your mate and he's the only one i look and found on his on 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 he's the one that he's the only one that i look for wow so you too you decided charlie you're like this is it you come out of the temple you get your answer so when did the two of you get married so at that point we were yeah at that point we were committed to each other so I spent the next two years filing, trying to get her here on a fiance visa. And it seemed like every, so first you, they don't respond for the first six months to begin with. And then when I got my first response, it was, oh, you got to correct this. You got to do that. And then, oh, you got to do this. I did fly over there to meet her because you have to, you have to actually, you know, you have to actually have all these pictures and things. And, and. But it just back and forth, we just kept going. This went on till 2015. In, in March of 2015, I we still I was still in the United States. She was still, and I didn't have a fiance visa. And I'm like, great. I'd gone to the gym. I was sitting on a gym. I remember it very clearly. I was doing leg extensions in the gym, listening to Elder Oaks reminiscing together with him because he had been the area president you know over in the philippines and he was philippines, telling philippines yeah he was telling philippines stories and i you know i usually listen to my headphones because i don't care for all the junk that's being played in the in the gyms and i'm doing leg extensions and up i come and bang the holy spirit hits me and i she's not supposed to come here i'm supposed to go there nine days later I was on my way. Wow. House sold this, that, and the other, everything either sold or given away. And I'm still tickets to my hand, ready to go. So on March the six, 15th or 16th, no, no, April. No, that was end of March. So by the 16th, I arrived. March, yeah, 16th of March, April, 16th of April, I arrived because we were married May the 16th. So anyway, I arrived on April the 16th and then a month later because we had to do all the paperwork and everything you know get all the the proper documents and you know stuff over there in order to set set up so it took a little while to put that together but we were uh we were sealed in the manila temple you were yeah we were sealed in the manila temple but let me tell you let me back up let me back up to when i came to visit so when I came to visit her in 2000, it was late 2012. When I came to visit her, I had these big plans in my head. Now, I, not being a well-versed, typical church boy, you know, I, I knew I was, I was already working in the, you know, I'd already been to the temple. Uh, I went to the temple in my first year. In fact, I was a, I was an ordinance worker. At, I, was, I was a veil worker at the uh, DC temple. And, um, but I wanted to propose formally to Sarah in the celestial room, right? 
And so, and then I also wanted to do a session with her and to be a witness couple. So those, that's my big plan. So we get in there. The first day we get in there, we were going to go to the temple, but there was a whole lot of stuff happened that because of hurricanes and stuff, I ended up arriving late, getting stranded in Japan. So we went the following weekend. We went up there on Saturday and I'm telling you the temple in Manila in, on the Saturday is like an anthill. I mean, there's people all in that time. They had no appointments. You just came. It was first come first serve. And we got there. We were there early. I don't know, probably eight o'clock, yeah. probably eight o'clock. And then first available in the crowd all the way out the door. The first available appointment was at three o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. And I turned to say my heart just sunk. You know, there goes all my and we're standing at the recommend desk. And he says, I, I don't know what to tell you, brother. He says, but you know, it's there's nothing available at three o'clock. But you're here. Would you like to go do initiatories or something like that? And I said, well, okay. Do you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. So we went in and we were gathered around back by the initiatory office. They were putting the company together, standing in the hallway. And the little temple worker, one little temple worker came up and says, what are you guys doing here? She said, and and uh, and I said she we told her we said well we're eight and we're gonna go be a company to go do initiatories uh, go do uh, not initiatories ceilings ceilings did I say initiatories yes ceilings yeah. we were going to go do ceilings and so we were at the ceiling office why did I say initiatories anyway so and she says well you can't stand how you can't this is too much chaos in the room and what does she do she goes over and reaches and grabs a big door and opens it up and says sit in here please. And open the door to the celestial room. Wow. So now here we go into the celestial room. Now, I didn't know I could go in there if I completed any ordinance. I thought I was out for the day. So this was a big thrill in my heart. We go in there. We sit down on the couch. Now, I realize I'm in a celestial room. And I don't want to draw anybody's attention or bother anybody that's in there. But I am going to propose to my wife. It's you, just the two of us in the... Well, yeah, at that time, there at that moment, there were just the two of us. So you wow. know what I, I reached in and I pulled out, I pulled out that ring case. She saw it and I started to push, go her direction with it. She reached out. She touched me on the arm. She looked me right square in the eye and she said, dear, this is where you get down on your knee. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> wow got a chance well we went and did the ceilings and we come out as we're coming out from the ceilings we're coming out around the recommend desk again and the guy says oh oh brother brown brother brown this is about 11 o'clock now he said we had someone cancel for the next session at 11 30 would you like to join that and we looked and said well sure and he said and oh by the way and he held up two cards and he says, would you like to be the witness couple? <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father loves us so much. He He's always there and he answers our little prayers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sarah, how were you feeling? Like when you met him for the first time and you knew that you were going to marry him, what were your thoughts? Because I've been praying. In the sixth chapter of the Doctrine and Covenant, it's like when I read it, there's some special verse in that in that I highlighted in that 
chapter of Doctrine and Covenant. Heavenly Father is talking to me that 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 day when I read that uh, chapter, and I knew He will send someone for for me, and I knew it's Brother Brown. So when you saw I him knew for the when first I time, saw him, yeah. yeah, I saw him in the first time. <clears throat> I don't see him. Wow. So you guys get married in 2015 in the Manila Philippines temple. When did you get the desire or did it just happen that they asked you to serve a mission there? They did. No, that's another great story. So we immediately started going to work. Uh, we were, we went into, it became at that time, they called them senior service missionaries. Okay. Right because they didn't have the service missionary program yet for the young missionaries, but the senior missionaries would do serve part-time, you know, part-time. And so we went to work in welfare and self-reliance as senior service missionaries. We also went to work as ordinance workers in the temple. And we would go, we would go up to the temple the first week of every month. And we spent the whole week at the temple as ordinance workers. Wow. And and we go home and then we go home. So that, and we did that for, you know, all, well, all the way up to through to 2019. So four years we did that. Um, but in the, in the senior service missionary work in our, uh, we really went to work on welfare and self-reliance. My background is in business process management. Uh, and, and so understanding how to organize and help and get people, you know, to take the, what's the handbook say now, how do we implement that? You know, uh, just what is a handbook? We don't need revelation. We need to execute what's in the handbook. It's already been revealed. So let's just do what's there. And then here's, here's how we put this in play. And so we, we started getting things organized and we, we organized a big team. Like we called seven other couple, uh, seven other six couple or five couples and two, two singles and formed a whole team and just really got a great foundation laid. In fact, they're still going strong. They're totally self-sustaining. You know, we just did great. I mean, huh, we were teaching classes right and left. All of them, you know, education for better work, starting to run my business, find a better job. All of them. We were all of these things. We had organized calling facilitators. We did, we put 130 some people through the English Connect, you know, courses and, and, and just... But the team did. I'd say we, I, I'm retired senior chief, so I'm an expert at delegating, right? Let's organize <laughs> and get yeah. everybody to carry their weight, you know. And uh, and and so because of that, I was going, I was occasionally I would go up the stake president, go up with the stake president and be at the CCM with the stake president and the and the area authority because for the coordinated council meeting of the stake presidents and do a, a little bit of training about welfare and self-reliance and implementation ways to better implement it, you know, and get it rolling. And so I knew president Davies, who was the current mission oh, president. Yeah. And in fact, he and sister Davies and she, they invited me, they said, listen, would you, would you consider coming up here and teaching our um, career workshop for their outgoing missionaries? And so I did and completely redid the course and we had this whole i mean it was at nine o'clock to three o'clock the whole day that we did and i went up there every six weeks 
to do that. So I did that for, you know, that started, gosh, that started in probably 17, you know, did that for a couple of years. Then in 2020, what was it that you told me, honey, one night in, in uh, what, what, what would it have been, February, March, I guess, March of 2020? You, what did you tell me to do? So we really don't know what is going on. We didn't know that there is some, but there is a COVID happening. So I just called my friend, a temple worker, and I found out that the American senior missionaries are leaving the country. I said, why? What's wrong? I said, oh, because of this and that. Oh, re oh really? We just, we, I know that there is some panicking in China. The, the groceries are closed, you know, panic buying. But I didn't know that there is some pandemics that will happen. And so one night I was praying and I was praying, and after I prayed, I have these thoughts that told me, this is, I know, it's the spirit that called, that asked me to call the mission president. I know that there's something that we need to do. And so I asked Brother Brown, uh, Brother Brown, dear, I told him, will you call President and Sister Davis? I think they need help. Because I, we found out that the seniors, the missionaries are also living. I think they, they, they need help. And so President Brother Brown said, okay. But then the next morning after I prayed again, I have still this impression to call the mission president. I asked again, Brother Brown, did you call President Davis? He said, no. <laughs> Dear, you have to call him. They need help. I think they need help. And so the help that I'm, 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 I was thinking is to do some run errands. Like I didn't expect that we're going to stay there. And so when Brother Brown called him, I, I was just listening, not really paying attention what they are talking about. So, but then Brother Brown said, you have to pack your things. I said, why? You have to pack your things. We're leaving this. We're going to the mission. I said, what? We're leaving our, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so when she told me, let, wait, let me back it up. So when she told me to call, you know, I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I'm not calling him. I'm sure he needs help. But I've got this, this, this going, that going. I mean, I had... We had, I had four projects running that needed attention. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't need one more thing to do. He'll be all right. The Lord will provide. He's a mission president. So I had ignored her. <laughs> so the next morning when she said, did you, dear, did you call? No, I, well, I knew I better call. So I did. So when I called him, he answered the phone and he said, I said, how are you guys doing up there? I'm not doing well at all. So we've lost all of our all of our senior mission. We have no one left, none in the office, none in the field. He said, he said, Elder Brown, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I know what I'm looking at with these reports. I don't know how to make these reports. I just know I'm supposed to pay attention to them and sign them. I, I, 
I understand them, but I can't do any of this. I have no idea how, how to run this mission. Well, would you like some help? Let me call you right back. Now, this is interesting because I don't know if it happened anywhere else in the world. Because about 45 minutes later, he called me back and he said, now remember, I'm a senior service missionary, a part-time missionary. Calls me back and said, I just got off the phone with the area president and he's, and I am technically in charge of all missionaries in my mission. You are hereby transferred to the Philippine San Pablo mission. I need your help. And so like so you guys had an apartment, you were living in a different area. And he literally said, I'm calling you to come here right now, right now. And that's what we did. So we, we packed up a couple of days worth of stuff to go up there and assess and figure, I mean, it was, it's about an hour drive, you know? And so we drove up there, we went up there. I was there, I was there two hours and I, I, I looked at Sarah and I said, we're not going home. We're, this, we're not, this is, we're here for a while. This is going to take me weeks just to learn how to do. And how did you, how did you know where you were going to live and how you were going to make it? I mean, what, how did you know, share some of those miracles weren't there miracles that took place for your living situation and everything? Well, we didn't know, but as it turns out is the, the mission office is it, the mission's in a compound. And, you know, even Steve talked about that. So you got, mm -hmm. we had the mission president's home. Then we had the office and upstairs there were two apartments, apartments, one for the finance mm -hmm. secretary and one for another office couple. They were empty. And they said, move in here. And so we just moved up there with our stuff. And uh, and over the next few weeks, we, and we just started learning. Bless your heart, Jeff Seeley was the previous finance secretary. That man got on the phone with me every single day at uh from nine o'clock which was about six o'clock your time you know nine o'clock to ten o'clock and we he would walk me through and we did that for about three weeks straight well not every day six days a week you know six days a week you know helping me learn the finance system and it goes sister brown had never been in an office in her entire life her idea of if it's a computer was a facebook post <laughs> <laughs> That's so Sarah, how did you feel? Like, what were your thoughts when you got there? What were your responsibilities? Yeah, I, I know, I know it will be hard for me. I'm not used to it. So, but I know that it's a big responsibility and I'm willing to learn. I know I have my husband here to help me. So, <clears throat> It's not really a, a, a burden for me because I know I will receive help. So, but it's hard, sister, you know, during that time of pandemic, when the missionaries are going home, um, yeah. we have a lot of documents to prepare for in order for them to be able to travel. You know, there's a lot of travel documents that need to be, you know, need to be prepared. COVID so, testing. Mm -hmm. so I know um, uh, it's okay with me I'm always Heavenly Father knows that my desire is always to serve so I'm grateful for that opportunity now, to be able to serve in the mission by the time she left that mission she 
knew Word. She knew Excel. She knew how to write the letters. She knew how to run all the office. She was the mission secretary, the travel coordinator, and in charge of all the supplies. I had finances, housing, cars, and communication. The two of us ran that entire mission. Wow. But, but you know, sister, sister, sister Beth, um, I have this uh, um, challenge when, you know, that I want to quit. I said, I miss my family. And I always in the office, it's like, I'm just inside the building. I'm not, I'm not used to it. I used to go out. I, I love to, I'm not used to be inside one room. So, and the work is hard, you know. I said, Brother Brown, dear, let's go home. Let's find someone to replace us. Brother Brown said, no. <laughs> Remember, it was, it's you, the reason why we're here. You came. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. Because if the impression came to Brother Brown, I'm not going, I'm not going to 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 the mission office. I'm not going to to stay there for three years, you know. But Brother Brown told me, Heavenly Father talked to you. <laughs> not to me. That's why we are here. That's why we're here. <laughs> okay. okay. But you know, I want to tell you, I think that's really amazing. I mean, I love that you're sharing this because I have a lot of nieces and nephews and I know a lot of young people that are leaving on a mission or out on a mission and they're, they're really struggling. It's hard. I just got an email from my one nephew who said he had the most stressful week. He's, um, he's serving in Peru and he said, everything's going to go be okay because of my testimony of Jesus Christ, but it has been a rough week. And I love that you're saying this was hard. You wanted to go home. You wanted to be by your family, but you mm -hmm. stuck it out. So what advice would you give to missionaries, couples and young single missionaries? How do you keep that mindset to just stay with it? This quote, I don't know who's quote from that. When the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. Oh, because during the time, I feel like I'm not qualified in this work. I don't know how to use this. I, I don't know how to, you know, President, President, Sister Brown, you have to do this, send this and do that. So, and especially in the computer, I said, I can't do this. I'm not, you know, but the the quotation that whom the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. It reminds me of I'm gonna receive help. And when you are in the Lord's errand, you are entitled in the Lord's help. I said, I'm gonna receive help doing this. So, and our missions um, uh, scripture theme that time is doubt not, fear not. So it those scriptures um, serve as my uh, as my strength to continue, and I yeah. know the Lord will bless. It is a blessing, sister, because if we get stuck in our apartment and we are not in the mission, 
Brother Brown, it will be hard for Brother Brown because he will be inside our house for three years. <laughs> because we are not allowed to go out, especially his age. He is oh. not allowed to go out. That's how strict it is during the time here in the Philippines. But it's a blessing really because we are led to go in the mission so that Brother Brown will be able to do important works and will not be stuck like a prison in our apartment. That's how he strict sister at that time. And it's a blessing. Oh, right, my dear? <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm clear that the Lord is changing me. I know he's changing me. And when I go to the gym, I intentionally put weight on the bar. I put more weight than I'm comfortable handling. Because if I don't put more than I'm comfortable handling, I'm not going to grow. I'm, I'm grow. acutely aware. I'm, I'm clear on that, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go into the gym and slap a 10-pounder on each side and and then and, and whip it around a few times and stand up like I really done something. Everybody look at me like I'm a, like an idiot, right? But you slap a couple of big plates on either side of it, and, you know, and you, you just barely get it done. And it's, ah, you know, you and and you and we and I enjoy that. Why? Because I know I'm growing. So I bring that at I I'm clear the Lord's changing me in order for me to grow. I have to take on weight. It It has to be hard. I will not. Opposition is necessary in all things. Opposition is not my enemy. Opposition is my trainer. The rest of it's my attitude, you know. We, we'll go to the gym and intentionally put weight on the bar and then come home and whine and cry about how hard it is. And they're not doing anything. You know, how hard is it to open up your scriptures and read for goodness sakes? How, how hard is it to pause and pray? You know, that's not hard. I mean, I realize that life distracts us. It's hard and, you know, you have to organize and things, but you, you see what I'm saying, you know? And so yeah. that I seek out more bring it on he's not going to give me anything he's not going to give me more than i can handle yeah. i might take on a little more than i can handle but i'll figure that out if i did <laughs> <laughs> you'll just lower the weights on the next set <laughs> okay i only got two out of that one let's uh <laughs> okay know. so if you would so because uh, one thing that i know that like listeners i love to hear when i'm listening to podcasts if you could share a couple miracle stories that you just, I mean, God is always in the details of our lives and he's always orchestrating everything. But if both of you could each share a story from your mission where you literally just, he performed a miracle that you cannot deny that he was totally orchestrating that. So Charlie, do you, do you mind sharing or Sarah, do you have one first? We both in the same we we both in that situation when it happens. When the missionary we take the missionary to the boat, they have to go to their go back to their area in one of the island. On a where, boat. You just said a boat, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they're going to an island. 
Yeah. So they have to be there. So going to that island is very strict. They required permission from the from the government in that island for them to be able to to go there. And we have like six, five requirements that we need to do. So what happened? We are with the missionaries. A van. We came early. We A van full of missionaries came early? Uh, with the missionary, we came early to that boat. So we decided to go get something to eat because they have to travel um, 12 o'clock, like 1 o'clock. So they have to have at least have a lunch. So we go out to get lunch. But instead of spending more time outside not in the area where we're in the marina we're going to not not in the port would you like yeah oh, go ahead go ahead keep going you're doing good so so when we we just pack our we just get the what do you call that take out take out food no and then we go back to the port and they ask they ask about the requirements, which is we're not really ready for one of the requirements. We are still waiting for the response from the island for the missionary to get in. But there is one brother. We don't know who is that brother right there. But he said mm -hmm. he, he is a member of the church. And we thought he's he a drove up. He drove up with us at exactly the same time we were at the port gate with the port authorities. He came in right then. So just make sure you understand, because we delayed with the food and everything else, when we drove there, that guy met us right there, right then. Had you ever met him before? I had no idea who he was. No, and we didn't met, we, we, we don't know who is that guy. And we've been in that island many times and we didn't, met him but he is he has the power <laughs> you know he has the authority to let the missionary in in that island so those guards in the ports allow the missionaries to get inside the port because even though they are they don't have that you know they didn't have that, that one guy. requirement but uh -huh. he because of the authority he had on that island they allowed the missionaries to go yeah and we wow. never met him since many times we go there and the visionaries. But he said he's a member of the church. He said, I'm a member of the church. I don't know if I write down his name or get his information. I know I did that, but because I have lots of notes. But I know he's he's an angel helping the missionaries. Yeah, I was gonna say that what a, maybe he's one of the three Nephites. No, just kidding. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. That's you know? amazing. I love it. Okay, Charlie, do you have the, there's a lot of miracles. Oh, yeah. we have yes. we have so many, it's hard to know which one to tell you. But the one that comes to mind is so so we started with President Davies, but then he that was in March. He left July 1. What when he left? Now all of our missionaries are locked down. Let me tell you, when we say locked down, Americans don't understand. You didn't leave your neighborhood without permission. 
The roads literally had barricades across them. You had to have a slip of paper that said you had permission. And only one person per family could leave the household and go to the grocery store and stand in a long line because they're only letting four or five people in the grocery store with your masks, with your face shields on. Okay. And, and so, and the missionary, and if you were under, if you're 21 or under, you could not be outside. Well, how many of our missionaries are 21 or under? <laughs> okay. Nearly every single one of them. These young people, men and women were locked down in their apartments. We had Sarah, thank heaven Sarah was there because she. we're on the phone talking to congregation, you know, this ward, that ward, this one, make, uh, people we know, making sure that foods get into their households. They can't go shopping. So they're here. Just imagine these young missionaries are locked down for, they've been locked down now for like three months, April, May, June. And they brought in an interim, they brought, that's very important because imagine being locked in your house for three months, 18 to 21 years old. I mean, this is going to kill you, right? And so uh, they were doing a great job. They were on their phones and they were trying, you know, trying to do their work, but they were still, they couldn't go anywhere. And they're the, using, and they are using brick phones. They were okay. using what we call brick phones. They did not yet have the smartphones at that time. So we got smartphones a little bit later, but so they had to bring an interim president in because they couldn't get, so there's two miracles here. They couldn't get the new president in because nobody could come in the country. So here's the first miracle. The interim president, President Michael Valdez, Miguel Valdez, he had been a missionary, a mission president years and years and years before. He came in the office, says, Elder Brown, he said, look, I, I, it's been... 15, 20 years since I've been a mission president. I have no idea how any of this runs. I said, don't worry. We got it. I'll bring you everything you need to sign and keep everything going. You just, you're, you, you focus on the missionaries. And in fact, the Lord laid it on his heart that during however long he was going to be there, that their goal became to, to literally drive and do a face-to-face -face interview with every single companionship, with every single missionary. So here was a Filipino missionary driving to meet the Filipinos who were locked down in their houses to do a face-to-face -face interview. Mm. An American president could have never touched their hearts necessarily in the same way because of the communication, right? The right. Lord provided that man. Now he was there for two months and he finished the last one three days before the new mission president showed up. Wow. So that to me was a beautiful miracle because those young people needed that man and his wife to be there with them and encourage them. Now, the second part of this was President Loner and Sister Loner, the batch they came in with, there were five, I think there were five in there, five mission presidents. Now, when is a mission president called? Like a year before they they know they know a year before they even get out on assignment they start going through this whole training process right so so sometime in july or so of 2019 they got their call pandemic didn't happen until the following year every and no one no one could move into the country that was you could not come to the country 
if you were over if you were 60 years or older. Now, the, what's the average age of a mission president? They're I'm assuming all, in their 60s. <laughs> they're all in their 60s. Yeah, they're all mid upper 60s, right? All five in that batch were under 60 years old. Every single one of those mission presidents and their wives, the whole batch, the Lord had called the whole batch so that they could get into the country when it was time. That was the hand of God in a huge way. So they got there. So we actually served under three mission presidents. <laughs> and we we stayed when the when the loan when President Sister Loner got there, we extended our stay to their entire term. We served 39 months in the mission. What a blessing the two of you were. And you having the skills and gifts that you had, Charlie, and Sarah, you being a native to that land and understanding and having been a missionary yourself when you were younger, and just having that perspective of being from that country is just a miracle. Oh, and you you could you should have seen her. I got pictures of her. She'd be on the phone talking to one person, another phone talking to another person. And of course, she's speaking Tagalog because she's negotiating all of this highly complex stuff because of the pandemic, you know, that an American couldn't have done. There is just no way. No. And the and our mission and president and his wife, they were just the most beautiful and wonderful, wonderful people. Gosh, they were fun to work with. Just just delightful. So one of the, I mean, really difficult things that happened while we were there at the mission was in uh, July of 21. So we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic. I mean, it, it had already passed, you know, the big part of it had passed, but it was still lingering. In fact, in the Philippines, we were still wearing face masks and all that stuff. It was, it was still a mess, but it, it, it anyway, the, Sarah had gone down. We had a friend who was struggling with cancer. She'd been struggling for some time and, and she didn't, she, she died. And so Sarah went down to help prepare her. So in the Philippines, when you do a funeral, funeral is quite a bit different than what we're accustomed to, you know, bodies are displayed in the home and, and yeah, everything. Yeah. Bodies are displayed in the home. People come there. They got a little tent out in front and there's stuff going on. Yeah. And so, the, for the wakes and so she had gone down and about a dozen of them had just helping her get ready well this lady's son had come from manila to help as well well when she came back so that was july the first or something when she came back she she felt like you know i think i got a little bit of a cold you know but i don't think it's anything it's just a cold and then three days later i started feeling that I had to cold, you know, I got, oh, shoot, well, you've given me this cold or flu or whatever it is. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Nine days, I laid in bed and got worse, drinking and trying to do all the things that I knew I was supposed to do. On the morning of the ninth day, that would have been, I guess, anyway, I, I woke up and I could hardly breathe. And I said, and I knew, I just had that knowing inside of me. I said, Sarah, I've got to get in a hospital today. Now we've been trying to get me into a hospital, but they didn't want you. They didn't want to have anything to do with you. They didn't have the facilities. Oh, people, people could not get treatments. We don't know how many people died. All right. 
And in the meantime, Sarah's precious brother, June, who was two years younger than me, the one who brought her and the family to the gospel, he was of that 12. June died. He didn't make it. And we couldn't get me in a hospital. But I said, honey, if you don't get me somewhere today, this is serious. So she found a net. We have had a nephew up in Pangansinan, which is way north. It's like a 10 hour drive. Now, Sarah drives, but she has COVID. Not as bad. Her symptoms are she's still up and about, but she's she's got COVID, too. And so she drives, but she's not a across the country driver, you know, and and usually I'm the one doing all of that. And I knew that it's, there's a skyway that's built. We had to go from where we were through Manila and to get on the other side and then go on up north. Well, the skyway, if you get on the skyway, you'll still might hit some traffic, but at least it kind of shoots you across all of that because I don't know if you've ever seen pictures or YouTube stuff on the traffic in Manila, but it's worse than it looks like on YouTube. You know, I mean, it's just just traffic and it takes hours to, to go to go from one side of Manila to the other. Well, they had been they were reconstructing the skyway and Sarah missed the new entryway. Now, I'm barely conscious. I know she's missed it. I'm trying to look at my phone and try. I don't know how to help her. We're now dumped down 4:30 in the afternoon at the height of traffic in Manila and we still have 10 hours ahead of us and I'm praying to God that I don't die cuz I can't hardly breathe. In fact, I could only say about three or four words at a time with any single breath. And we get a phone call and it's the, the area medical authority. He tells Sarah, he says, I just got off the phone with the head nurse. We have a bed for your, for elder Brown in the, in the St. Luke's hospital. Can you get him there? We were eight kilometers from the St. Luke's Hospital. Had we have been on that skyway, we would have been hours getting back. It still took us 40 minutes to go eight kilometers. But by the time we drove up there, I just barely got could get out and into the wheelchair. I was shaking so bad. I my oxygen was down in the 70s and I was dying. They put me in uh, intensive care. They had converted the heart clinic into a COVID clinic. There were 11 rooms up there. And I got in the room. Of course, they put me on oxygen and all that. And uh, started, you know, lots and lots and lots of stuff, the drugs and this and that and the other. And after a couple of days, they uh, brought in uh, a machine. It's the same machine like for dialysis, but they, mm -hmm. it's called hyperperfusion, I think. If I remember the term right, they go in, but what the, what see what had happened was I had three infections in my body. I had a blood infection, I had uh, I had and two a viral and bacterial infections in my lungs. And my whole the cytokines, cytokines are the the things that that tell the white cells where to go fight. I was I had a cytokine storm. Every it didn't every it said kill everything. It was trying to kill everything. It, it'll just, it, it'll kill you because it doesn't know where to stop. And so this machine filters out the cytokines. 
And so they brought that in. They did the, 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 they did the transfer the first day. Didn't, and then I had to wait 24 hours before they did the, by the second one, I started really feeling good. By that time I was joking with the nurses and things. And I, they come in with the machine as I go, Oh, here comes the atonement machine. <laughs> you're going to take this blood and you're going to wash it clean, just like Jesus and give it right back to me, aren't you? And they thought that was funny. And so, but I, I was 11 days there in intensive care and then four more days in, in observation after. But while I was there, I watched every day, I watched at least one person roll in and one person roll out. I was the only person in the 11 days that I was there to come out of that clinic alive. That's a miracle. It was a miracle. And by day six, I was on a telephone with President Lohner telling him how to do the financial reports. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> so the cards yeah. would get shut off. <laughs> and Sister Beth, on my side, on my side, there's also miracle happened during that time. Go ahead, yeah. Because I, I was new driving. I think it's just seven months I learned how to drive. So... When I take Brother Brown to the Manila, to the hospital, I have to go home by myself. So I'm not familiar in the area. I don't know where to go. Where's... But there is ways, the app ways, where you they can direct you to where to go. So on the way out to the hospital, as I U-turn, there is no car. The road is very clear. I just don't know why I didn't stop and check the area, the ways. So while I'm driving, I look at the my phone. And then suddenly, I hear something that stopped my, my, my car. I hit the road barriers. So two of those barriers is under... under the car so there's a taxi a taxi came and asked do you need help said yes sir will you please help me and then there's another man came in the car so those are two angels that heavenly father sent to help me uh get out of that trouble and so i said i'm not going to to look for my to look to this to waste to find my way out. So I will just ask people. So I went to the gasoline station. I asked those boys, I'm going to, I told them that I'm going to expressway, the exit, exit going to expressway. Said, oh, we are not from here. We don't know. So I asked three different gasoline station for direction. And then I saw a group of taxi driver and I asked them to help me, uh, direct me to the exit, to go to expressway. Because when I'm in the expressway, I just go straight. It's a straight way going home. So, so they give me direction, just go straight and then turn left. And there is the exit. I said, okay, thank you. So they gave me direction. So what? So. Before I go to that direction, I have to check the car, if the car 
the tire is if it is okay the gas what is you know the damage that i've done so i i just want to make sure that on the expressway i'll be i i will be fine the car is okay and i noticed that there is guy in a motorcycle also parked where i parked the car so when I turned the car going to the direction, the taxis, taxi drivers directing me, I still, there is two turn. So I, I turned to the first left, which is wrong. It's a small alley that one way. So I said, no, this is not right. This is not the right direction. I have to go out. And then the guy in a motorcycle, he's following me. And then he the, you know, told me to stop. He said, ma'am, this is not the right direction. Follow me. I will take you to go to the exit. So I followed that guy. And then he led me to the exit. Which is, I know, it's also an angel. I said, Heavenly Father is keep sending me angels to guide me to get home. Although that time I have fever, I, I'm taking medicine while I'm driving. And I think four days later, she was in the hospital up in Pangasinan, where we were originally going, and she was in the COVID hospital up there. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> my family said Sarah you have to go to the doctor <laughs> I'm okay they said no you're not because I'm I vomiting I'm chilling with brother Brown is in the hospital I'm alone in the house all the president and sister loner was there we were inside the same compound and they keep checking me sister Brown or but I didn't tell them what is really going on with me I don't want to disturb them I'm okay. Even my family, I don't, I don't want to disturb. I'm okay. But they said, no, you're not. You're not okay. So they sent um car or van with my sister and my brother-in-law. And they take me to the hospital. It's a six hours travel to go to get to that hospital. And and the COVID is hitting my heart. I have 192 heartbeat. So Beats my- per minute? Uh-huh. So it's not really, the doctor said, if, if you have that kind of heartbeat, the blood circulation, you will get heart, heart problem or heart attack or um, what do you call that? High blood pressure, you're gonna have blood clot in your yeah, and so it's another miracle, sister. Because because in the middle of the night at 1 a.m., I'm struggling to find my way out to go home. There's people there that you know. Yeah. And you know, I love the I love this story because sometimes we think if we're in the Lord's 
errand, on the Lord's errand, that there's not going to be anything bad that happens. But the truth is, is that he strengthens us through those trials and he provides people to be those angels and mm -hmm. to, he is there watching over us. It doesn't exempt us from humanity's suffering and pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it helps me to remember the savior said, I'm always with you. Yeah. And my angels is round about you. Mm -hmm. We had a picture commissioned. You know the picture? I don't know who painted it. Do you remember the picture of the sailor, his hands on the wheel in the storm? Yeah, Mute, your, mute, honey. Mute. <laughs> we remember the picture of the sailor with his hands on the wheel and 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 Jesus was behind him with his hand on his shoulder and he was pointing, pointing the way in the storm. One of our missionaries was an artist. And so we had that painting commissioned where we took the sailor out and he put me and Sister Brown at that helm with Christ standing behind us, pointing the way because that's how we felt. That's that's where he was. He will point our he will point our way through the storm. Just hold on to the helm, stay in the boat. Love so to. what would you say if you could share? Because there are a lot of couples in the United States that there are things that hold them back from a mission, their grandchildren, their lives, their livelihood, um, animals, you know, their pets, um, them feeling like they just can't do it. It would be too much financially. What is some, just a, a quick word of advice that you would share, Sarah, what would you say to a couple that is really battling to go out on the mission to serve? As a couple, just, just follow the desire of their heart, sister, and the Lord will lead them and guide them and support them. I know that for my experience, that's what I do. Although I have a lot of fear, you know, I am a very, very shy person. I don't <laughs> speak English that much. <laughs> that's good. And, um, um, I love my family. I I always wanted to be with them. Although I don't have my own child, I'm very close to my nieces and nephews and they are young and they love me. I know they love me and I love them. I want to be with them. So I make sure when we are in the mission, I make sure that when I have the opportunity to to be with them, I I, I make sure I will see them. But, you know, um, I know that that serving is like our, um, what do you call that? Investment that someday when I return to Heavenly Father, I have a good report. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> That's awesome. Charlie, what about you? What would you say to a couple that's just trying to make that decision and they just have these things that they feel they're not sure if they could leave. Well, I think Sarah hit on a very key point. If the desire's there, then you're called. So, you know, stepping out in faith is always, you know, very seldom do we, does, do we get to walk with the 
a knowing of how things are going to turn out. We we step out in faith, the, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so I don't I don't really know how to counsel because there's a there's a part of me that that is just like I am so indebted to Jesus Christ for all that he rescued me from that I can't I can never say no to you know to to any calling or any opportunity to just show him my gratitude and um and 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 everybody has to figure out how to their own challenges and things um I, but you know i came home and within a few months here you know i came back in september because i needed to come back to get a few things started and going while we're waiting on sarah and i you know i went down and visited him and i'm telling you the hand of the lord was working in a powerful way and they they just they just opened their lives and their hearts up to me immediately and and i was able to be you know a, a direct influence again but i could see how god had kept them along the way and there's nothing godly about many of the lives that they're living but nonetheless I'm telling I just I I would never worry I would never worry about my children uh stay in touch with them as much as you can for goodness sakes nowadays there's we've got you probably stay in touch with them as much as you do now we're you know they're on one side of the country or another side of the country what's the difference here or over in the Philippines or Italy or wherever you know zoom is zoom just you know you can you can be with you just can't be physically with them at some of the times you'd like to be but it's only for a short time for goodness sake what is it I don't know. How how long is a normal mission? I don't even know. You know, 20, the, with the senior couples, months. you can choose six months, a year, 18 months, yeah. two years. Yeah. So you get an option. Yeah. I used to go on cruises and then I was retired Navy. I went on cruises that were six months at a time. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't know. That wasn't a very good encouragement, I guess. But I just, some, the senior chief in me wants to say, man up and shut up. Do what the Lord wants you to do. Let's go. <laughs> No, that's great. That's great advice from both of you. So my last question that I want to ask you both is, you know, how do you personally seek light today? Like, what do you do? You're home from your missions, your mission, you know, you're Sarah, you're in the Philippines still, and Charlie, you're here, but what do you both, what do you personally do to seek light? Sarah, what do you do right now to keep that light full in your life? Mm -hmm. It is always my desire to have the spirit of Christ, you know, because I know it's that is very important for me so that I will be always in tune with, with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, I, I always make sure that I, I'm worthy to receive you know, his spirit, inspiration, his spirit. And um, I keep myself busy serving in the church and in my family. And it is always my desire to serve him. So Brother Brown and I still looking forward to the time that we may 
be able to continue to serve in the church in many different ways. But for now, um, we're, we're, we are here with our family. For our family to be a light, you know. Although it's hard for me and for Brother Brown to be separated. Separated. Mm -hmm. He is needed there to be a light to his family. You know, to lead them. He needs his presence there. And me too. I know. I have things to do here also in my family, though, although they are in the church. But I still have things to do. And yeah. To be a light. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you are. Charlie, what about you? What do you do to seek light personally? So this is something that we share and probably is the very reason that the Lord brought us together. Um, I find light in service. Of course, there's, yeah, don't, there's all the, you know, prayer and Bible and scripture study and all those things, but I find light in the act of service. When, when, when I'm given, when we have something to do with purpose and meaning, you have to seek light to, to magnify whatever that is, right? So if you don't have service to do, then why are you seeking light? So you, you want the light so that you can share it. The, the purpose of the light is to share, is to share it, right? So, yeah. so by seeking opportunities to serve, now, those don't have to be overseas. They, you know, how do I serve? I, I fulfill my ministering call faithfully. You know, I fulfill the calling that I've given and I'm in my ward and I, I magnify, I look for ways to make that bigger and better and more, more as the Lord would have it to be. You know, um, I, I make sure, of course, always in focus on my family and, and, and be the example as Sarah shared, but, 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 but then to find special ways to do, you know, you'll never do more than what you're doing if you don't seek more to do. And some people, my mom, my mom, bless her little heart, mom will say, Charlie, you just work too much. You're working too hard. Mom, I'll rest when I die. You know, <laughs> I'm okay. I don't need any, I don't need any rest. I, the, the joy and the power that fills me when I'm serving and however that is, even if it's, you know, making quilts or I don't make quilts, but you know, whatever, whatever tool it is, that's where I find the greatest access to light. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being a light, a light in the world. Um, there's so much going on right now and your stories, your conversions, your meeting one another, and then just being a couple that just magnifies light is incredible. And I'm so thankful that I had this time to meet you and learn a little bit more. And you inspire me. You've inspired me to make sure and keep that in my mind. Cause my husband can retire in seven years. 
And I keep thinking, oh, I can't wait. We're going to have a break and we can go, you know, take some trips and that. And you know what? I love what you said right there at the end, Charlie. You said, I'll rest when I die. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to thank you both so much for doing this podcast interview and for the wonderful people that you are. So thank you. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.